Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. The Bible reading will be taken from Genesis 1, 27-28, Genesis 2, 22-24, Genesis 3, 16, and Genesis 3, 23, and Genesis 4, 1. At the end of this reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond with thanks be to God. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be your husband, and he will rule over you. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to walk the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam made love to his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I, gave forth, I, gave, I have brought forth a man. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Justina, and good morning, everyone. Good morning. I hope we're all doing well. Can I say welcome to anyone that's joined us for the first time here or those who have not joined us in a long time? <laughs> we shall get to that, don't worry. <laughs> Um, uh, but uh, also for those watching on um, YouTube, Facebook, we are so happy to have you. You are welcome. Uh, we are in a new series. Where's my water? Uh, I left my water. Oh, it's there. Thank you. We're in a new. Thank you very much. We're in a new series, uh, but it's a short one. It's it's on sex and no, <laughs> Christ and sexuality. No, the, the Christ must come before the sexual. Yeah, that's part of the problem we have. In this. Anyway, all right. So, so we're in the second part of this, and I want let, let's dive right in. Um, but let's ask God for His help. Lord, we uh, need you right now, for you are the one, oh God, who who we praise. You are the one whose blessing we need, and we need you to do something. Oh God, uh, powerful in our lives today. We need you to change our minds. We need you to lift us up. I pray, oh God, that you would bring deliverance through the power of your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would captivate my own heart and my tongue, but captivate the hearts of those who are listening, those who are watching. Let only truth be made manifest. Let truth be a foundation that brings liberty. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
In 2003, for those who, for the football enthusiasts, I've not, I don't want to alienate anybody here, so follow closely. In 2003, the biggest club in the world, Real Madrid, um, assembled a star-studded team. Star-studded team. Like the, the likes of which had never happened before. They brought some of the best players in the world in their prime. They were called the Galacticos. The Galacticos. Raul, well, he was already there. Zinedine Zidane, David Beckham, Spice Boy, uh, <laughs> Luis Figo, Roberto Carlos, Ronaldo El Fenomeno, the original one. <laughs> now, of these players, I said, those six players, within the last three years, each of them had been shortlisted on the best three players. Uh, the annual best three players in the world in the world award. In fact, five of them had been short, had either been first or second in that same award. So this was a star-studded team. They were brought together to win trophies, and they were in three major trophies. There were three major uh, competitions they were going to be part of, right? What you call the Spanish Cup, the Spanish League, and the UEFA Champions League. So they brought them together to be able to conquer all. Conquer all. What could be the problem? Well, what was the result at the end of the season? In the Spanish Cup, the least of them, they lost in the final. And you see, we can't all be winners. You understand, right? If you win this one, if God closes the door, it's because he opens the other one. So in the league, the second most important one, they came fourth. Yeah, but you see, he's taking you to a higher place. And so where there's weeping, in the night, then joy comes in the morning. In the Champions League, they didn't make the last four. It was an abject failure. Why? Well, the president, Florentino Perez, um, um, in assembling that squad, he had to sell somebody. A guy who, um, he said, was not very talented. He said, lack talent, exact quote. And he said, he won't even be missed. He was a diminutive... Um, midfielder, defensive midfielder, who said he couldn't pass the ball beyond just two meters. His name is Claude Makalele. said, we, we don't need him. We are Galacticos. Who need, even think about the Galacticos and Makalele. They don't, they don't quite. So it's only. Commenting on the sale of Makalele, the best, and my favorite player of all time, the best of the Galacticos, Zinedine Zidane had this to say. Zidane said, why put another layer of gold paint on the Bentley when you are losing the engine? Deep, deep. I told you, my favorite player of all time. He's, he's waxing philosophical. What he was saying is this. If my goal, if the goal is to drive a Bentley, why do I, I why, why am I only concerned about how the Bentley looks? I need the Bentley to what? move. Was he missed? Today, today, the defensive position, midfielder position, is colloquially called the Makalele role. When a role is named after you, <laughs> you are really missed. You see, Zidane was saying, if the goal was fruitfulness in winning trophies, then that same mindset of fruitfulness has to affect how this squad is actually constructed. 
In other words, he was saying, let's make fruitfulness great again. And we need to make fruitfulness great again in the discussion about sex. You see, there are fewer things that can teach you about uh, 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 fruitfulness than sex itself. But actually, quite sadly, fruitfulness is not really brought up in this discussion, and it has major consequences. So, because of that, we are going to make fruitfulness great again. And uh, I want to warn you, I want to warn you, this is a, I should have done this in the first service, this is a frank, uh, this is going to be a frank sermon. You know what I mean? It's frank. It's not a biological sermon, I will say this. It's a spiritual sermon, but it's going to be frank because that's the way the Bible wants us to talk about it, all right? So I do pray, though, that as we start to bring and put things in the right place and speak about fruitfulness, that God who made us to be fruitful will enable us to see fruitfulness in our sexual lives. I pray that he will drive away the error that leads to unfruitfulness and then give us the understanding that brings us to a fruitful field. Are we together? Then let's say amen. amen. All right, so we're going to look at this sermon, Sex and the Family, under these three headings. Foundation for Fruitfulness, Alternative Fruitfulness, and Enduring Fruitfulness. Foundation for Fruitfulness, enduring fru uh, Alternative Fruitfulness, and Enduring Fruitfulness. Don't laugh. Just, just allow it to go. All right. Foundation for fruitfulness. Now, there's one counsel I usually give to people who I observe haven't, you know, they've been dating for a long time or maybe they are engaged. Now, usually I ask, why are you guys, what's happening? Why are you not getting married? And then usually it's always this economic, ah, we don't have enough money. We are still trying to get, you know, we don't have enough money. So my advice always to them is just go ahead and get married. And like, how about the money? I say, don't worry. You see, there's something called marriage money. It's miraculous money. I don't know how to explain it, but it just shows up. It's like, it's like marriage fat, right? Uh, uh, marriage, marriage, wait, 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 marriage, wait. You see, the truth is that they don't say, just leave me alone. Because I'm a, I'm a living embodiment of this thing. When you get married, for some reason, you even eat less than you are eating before. And all of a sudden, you just increase in weight. I don't know what happens. In the same way, let me tell you, when you get married like this, that money, I don't know, it just shows up. It just shows up. Make sure you put cash gifts only on your wedding, whatever. That's part it helps. But it does. Now, I think I have a theory as to why. We see it in Genesis 1, verse 27 and verse 28. God created them male and female. God brought them together. In Genesis 2.24, the man to the woman and they were united. And when God brought them, what did he say? Be, he blessed them. He said, be fruitful and what? Multiply. Or be fruitful and increase in number. There's a blessing that comes with it. But I want to take you back a little bit and notice it says, they were created in God's image, male and female. Which means... That there is something about their coming together. This unity in diversity, male-female diversity, but they were meant to come together, united, the mouth united with his wife. There's something about that that reflects God. Now, don't forget, I said the unity and diversity leads to fruitfulness. So this united diversity that leads to fruitfulness must first have been in God. Now, let me explain. God said, let us, the one God said, let us create in our image. One God, 
and he said, let us. So that God is one and he's plural. We've seen that before. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. But how do this Father, Son, and Spirit, how do they dwell together? How have they eternally dwell together? Well, the Bible says that God is love, 1 John 4, 16. What does that mean? Because you and I know that to love someone, to love is to love someone or something. So if God has eternally always existed, he needs to love something that has eternally also always existed for him to truly be loved. Are we together? This is why you look at, take um, John, um, um, put it, put, which one is itself? I can't remember. Help me now. People are the John 3.35 and John 14 verse 31. It says, the father loves the son and the son loves the father. The father loves the son and the son loves the father. And you say, okay, maybe that was a time, in, uh, that was at a point in time. But if you go back to uh, John 17, verse 24, do you know when the time that the Father loved this, uh, the, the Father loved the Son went? From the creation of time. In other words, the love between the Father and the Son has always existed. But then you say, what about the Holy Spirit? There's nowhere in the Bible that it says that the Father loves the Spirit and the Spirit loves the Son. No, because the Spirit eternally has played a different role. What is He? The Bible says in John uh, 16, I think it's John 15, 26, and John 16, 15, that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Spirit proceeds from the Son. It's as though the Spirit is in going between the Father and Son. And what is He saying? The expression of the love of the Father to the Son comes with the procession of the Holy Spirit. The expression of the love of the Father to the Son comes with the procession of the Holy Spirit. That is why wherever you see the Spirit, like for instance, at Jesus' baptism, the Son's baptism, in Luke 3 verse 22, what happens? It says, as the Spirit was, de dwell, was descending on the Son in bodily form, it was proceeding to the son. Then a voice in heaven came out and said, "What? This is my son, uh, uh, the son whom I love." The spirit always goes with love. That's why in Romans chapter five, verse five, he says that the love of God has been shared about, poured out in our hearts. Why? How? By the Holy Spirit. That is. When you look at the Father and the Son, the Trinity, what is produced is love. And that love is produced because the Spirit moves. And that's why it says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. So when you think about the eternal community of the Trinity, this diversity in this eternal community of the Trinity, what you see that is produced, what you see that is fruitful, is this eternal love. But if love is love, love always produces even more. So this is why, remember how the baptism was? The Spirit comes upon the Son. The Spirit is hovering on the Son. In Genesis 1, when the world was without form and void, what happened? Check this. The Spirit what? And if it is the Spirit that is hovering, and the Spirit is the Spirit of love, Love always produces, is always fruitful. So where there was formlessness and void, what happened? God brought about what? Creation. The love of God is always what? Fruitful. And we see this pattern of unity and diversity that leads to fruitfulness and communion. What does that have to do with us? Very simple. When God created the man, Adam, he took him to see animals in 2.19 to 20. And he named all of them. But he said... They said in that 
there was no suitable helper made for him. What does that mean by there was no suitable helper? In other words, there was none that he could unite with that would enable the fruitfulness that God said in Genesis 1.28. That is, be fruitful, multiply, and increase. Why? Because for fruitfulness to exist, we need unity and diversity. He needed one that was like him, and he needed one that was also not like him. The problem with human beings and animals is that we are very much not like each other. And so we cannot produce. So God had to take something like the man, but not the man. God had to take something like the man, but not the man. So God gave him a woo man. He gave the ish, the man, an ish ah. Hebrew, Hebrew. I, I read, I read a little bit. <laughs> he gave an ish child, right? Or a woo man. Like him, but not like him. They got united, and when you have this unity and this diversity in love, they came together, one flesh, what came out? Verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, Adam made love to his wife, and they gave birth to a what? Son, Cain. What are children? Children are the living embodiment of the process of unity and diversity that leads to fruitfulness. You see, if you take Moyo now, who is the child of Yemi and Fi, who is Moyo? If you look at Moyo, do you know what you see? You see Moyo is like Fi. You see Moyo is like Yemi. But Moyo is not Fei and Moyo is not Yemi. Moyo is united with Yemi and Fei, and Moyo is diverse from Yemi and Fei. What, what do you see when you see Moyo? You see the fruitfulness that comes from a united diversity. Are we together? And the basis, the thing that produces, the united diversity that produces that child forms the basis of how that child should also be nurtured. You need a father and a mother to bring about a family. Are we together? This is why when the unity that produced the child is then broken, it affects the nurturing of the child. This is why, check, most people, when they are being counseled and all of that, most psychiatrists or most psychologists, where do they start from? Your childhood. And you find out that they have broken homes, whether where you see uh, adultery, the unity that was there, or you see abandonment, or you see divorce, or you see death, usually I'm not saying all, because many of us, some of us that are involved in this have been, God has tremendously helped us. But I'm saying generally, what do you see? You see dysfunction in the child. Why? Because the child was meant to be nurtured by the father and the mother that got united to bring about that child. Are we following together? This is how this unity and diversity in love produces a child and a family. But I want to back up a little bit. Because notice, the child coming is a derivative of the original thing that, was, that came about in fruitfulness. The child coming was derivative. That is, why the sex does exist is to bring about love. And sometimes that love will produce children, but not all. In other words, I'm saying though procreation is a fruit of the unity and diversity of a man and woman, it is not always, it's not the exclusive fruit. Are we together? And so there is something else. The main core is this communal edifying love. That is the purpose really of sex in married couples. And I, permit me to 
speak to the married couples a little bit, all right? Don't worry, singles, you had your time last week, you have your time next week as well. But I have a problem. Or we have a problem in the church. You know what the problem is? We have a sex problem. Not enough couples are having what I would call a defined sex. I hope it's not getting upward. Because the way people are looking at me. Let me put it another way. Not in, couples aren't having enough sex. Or they're not having enough good sex. And I think we are not having enough good sex because we are not reading the Bible well. People are wondering, hey. No, let me, let me explain. Now, let's, let, let's take this thing a little bit further down. Remember we said that the father loved the son and the son loved the father. That is the relationship, right? Now, but if you go to John chapter 10, Notice what he says here in John chapter 10. They eternally loved each other, but in John 10, is it up there? All right. In John 10, 15, he says, the father what? Knows me and I what? Know the father. I thought it was love. I thought it was love. Yes, they eternally know each other because they eternally, um, they eternally love each other because they eternally what? Know each other. The perfect love between the father and the son is as a result of the perfect knowledge between the father and the son. But the perfect knowledge between the father and the son is as a result of what? The perfect love between the father and son. That is the love and the knowledge are the basis of the unity. Almost such that knowledge and love can be interchanged. What, does, what difference does this make for us? As, uh, how does this relate to us as couples? Notice in 4 verse 1. It says, Adam did what? Made love to his wife. In the NIV. If you go to the New King James translation, it says what? Adam knew his wife. I hope we are seeing what's going on. You see, in other words, for there to be wholesome fruitfulness, for there to be wholesome fruitfulness in our relationship, in our marital relationship, in our sexual relationship, what we are trying to say is this, that I need to love my wife and I need to love my husband. But what you are doing when you are making love is that you are actually expressing the most intimate form of knowledge. You are knowing your wife and you are knowing your husband. The reason why, when I meet a lot of people who have dysfunctional relationships, the reason why they are going through a lot of problems, I say, you don't know your spouse well. Because the first question I ask them, you know the first question I ask them, when they say, hey, this problem, that problem, you know the first question I ask them. When last did you guys pray together? And you thought it was going to be something else. <laughs> That's the first question. The next question is, when last did you guys have sex? And then you hear, no, 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 you don't hear. They first look away, then they look to that side, then they look down, and then one says, eh, maybe about three weeks. The other one says, no, it's over a month. And what they don't know is that there's this interplay. They are having problems. Uh, they, are, they, are, uh, they, are, they are not having enough sex because they're having problems. But they're ha they having problems because what? They're not having enough sex. They are not knowing each other. That is, they are breaking apart. They are not uniting with each other. And then you ask them, some, of, some couples now, I'm telling, let me quickly help you. Do you want help? Because I'm serious, it's a big problem. It's a big problem. I know this because people are telling me. So I'm trying to be your love doctor through the Bible, through the Bible. <laughs> a lot of young couples, now you ask, okay, ah, because of work, everything. How, how, how many times are you guys having sex? Uh, how frequently? You say, ah, we're well, trying, you know, I think maybe like once every two weeks, 
to your neighbor, turn to your neighbor and say, stop playing with fire. That is that's what once in two weeks. Which one of you wants to master an art, master a craft, and you only read about it in what two weeks? Once in two, tell neighbor, stop playing with fire. They don't know each other. But let me tell you, based on what we see here about the nature of God and how we reflect God, let me give you two ways. Again, I'm speaking to the married couples. Oh, I'm speaking to the married couples. Oh, two ways. And well, I'm speaking to married couples. I'm speaking to those who, who who will soon be married. I'm speaking to those who look forward to being married. Two ways this teaching can actually transform, totally transform your sexual life. You ready? First one, it leaves the burden of expectation. It lifts the burden of expectation. Here's what we know about love and knowledge. I didn't used to like, one day, I didn't used to like cricket. I didn't used to like the, 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 the sport of cricket and tennis. One day, I said, why is it that all these people like it? Until I started watching. As I was watching, I was watching, I started to fall in love. And as I was falling in love, I started to know the sports more. Do you understand? We know universally that you can grow in love and in knowledge. Why is it that when we now get married, at the, in the first year, we expect to be an expert. Many people, you speak to them before they get married, when we can actually break it down. So what are you scared of? You say they're not excited about sex. Why? Because they don't know how to do it. They don't know whether they will be good or something. And that's the problem. You are never created to be an expert from the beginning. If it is about knowledge and it's about love, then that means you can what? Grow. You can grow in this. You don't start as an expert. You can what? Grow. Tell your neighbor, you can grow. You can grow in this. Now, what does this do? You see, because some people, it brings about problems. The pressure brings about problems. Some people are uninterested in sex because they, in, within their, their marriage because they feel like they're not enjoying it the way they should. Whereas some people feel ashamed because they feel like they're not good at it. And I'm saying, let the burden be lifted because you are brought into marriage to be able to grow into it. Amen. Now, the second one is this. It provides a template for becoming an expert. You see, in the first one I said, I wanted to say, you can start where you are. But please, do not mistake, you can start where you are to be what? Remain where you are. No, no, you are not meant to remain. You are built to be a sex expert. You understand? You know what a sex expert is. You are designed to be a sex expert. That is, we are meant to become experts in sex. Now, I must put a quick qualifier there. I don't mean an expert generically. You are built to become a specific sex expert that is a sex expert with your own spouse. Are you understanding? Please, amen there, amen there. Where is this going? This church, I don't know whether it was the church I was. Hey, hear me? Are you sure we will not? You were built to be an expert of your spouse. Remember, it's about love and knowledge. It's about love and knowledge. So as you, if, if sex is a form of knowledge, then as you are doing it more and as you are growing, you know your spouse more. As you know your spouse more, you know what your spouse wants. And your spouse knows what you want. Are we together? This is why, now, don't, don't forget, if I want to know Bemileke now, if I want to know Bemileke as Bemileke joins this church, she's new, and I want to know her more, what am I going to do with Bemileke? Right? What would I do? I'll talk to her. 
will communicate. Why? Because communication helps with knowledge. If sex is about knowledge, then can I say that part of the missing ingredient in our sexual life is we don't communicate enough. We don't talk enough. When I say we don't talk, I mean, tell this person, this is what I like, this is what I do. It's, you know that yesterday's own. And that we do it like that again. We don't talk. Why? Because we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed of saying that we actually like it, or we're embarrassed to say that we don't really like it. And the problem, it is, it is crazy. Why? Because this same person is the same person you have seen naked. You've seen the person in the toilet, not doing number one, doing number two. You are still embarrassed. And the person has seen you. God brought us together in unity so that we can know and love each other to reflect the triune God himself. So let us talk. Let us communicate. Look, and let me quickly caution about something in, in trying to become an expert. Two things you must run away from. A traditional model and pornography. Because traditional models are traditional. Pornography is trying to give you innovation. None of them work. That's not how you become a sex expert. Right? Let me tell you why. Because both of them are trying to make you sex expert in a generic way. What's traditional model? Traditional model is same place, same way. I'm not going to go further than that. <laughs> All right? It was done like that. Kidding, and we just, yeah, missionary. All right? So we just, see, it's, it is, it is, you, this is the problem. The problem is that what was traditional, what is traditional today was revolutionary for some people. But it was for them, it's not for you. Stop trying to know somebody 50 years ago. Know the person in front of you. And the problem with pornography is that all this innovation that it's bringing in is actually people knowing themselves. You are not knowing the person behind the camera. You are knowing the person in front of you. So spend time with your wife. Spend time with your husband. Speak to them and know what they love. And you also demonstrate it back. And can I also say this? I'm talking to church now. Can we stop being awkward about this thing? People are suffering. People are dying. Some people have come to me quite frankly and say, you yourself, you look very uncomfortable when you talk about it. I say, me? When did anybody see me to be a prude? <laughs> so some of us need to form small communities. Maybe some ladies. I know some ladies gathered some weeks ago or some months ago to talk about this thing. Very well. Some guys, let's talk about it. Many guys that get married, I, I, I had a ministry like 10 years ago. Ten years ago, come, let's talk about the mechanics of this thing. Not philosophical stuff. Because people are terrified. Let's talk to one another. Let's be that kind of community. Let's, let's not allow it to shame us. Let's stop making it awkward. Listen, I'm telling you all of this because the devil is fighting this thing. He's fighting this thing. We must fight back. Invest the time in it. So can you invest in it? Yes, you can invest. You can spend money. There are things to buy. But I'm not talking about that. Right? You can invest in it. You can do You say, oh, eh, the children. The children may walk in. Listen, well, if the children walk in, it's good sexual life between both of you. It's good for the children. Because if you're not doing well, then you'll be shouting on the children here and there. And the children wonder, what did I do to this person? You know that mommy, mommy told daddy that there was headache yesterday night. That's what's happening. Okay, lock the door. Lock the door. But do you understand what I'm saying? Let's fight for this. And I said, I don't want it to sound prude. I want this. What I'm saying, yes, it's explicit, but I'm talking about something that is absolutely holy. Because we are talking about the nature of the God who created us. Amen. Now, that takes me to my second point. The second point, alternative fruitfulness. And here I'm going to, this, this, if the, this point is going to be a little bit melancholy. You see, not everyone can experience this. Not everyone is, uh, you know, experiences what I just spoke about. And I want to target 
a certain uh, a group of people to explain this. But first of all, let me lay certain foundations. Remember, and I, you may have missed something in this text. In 127, he said he created them male and female, right? But in 223, he says he took the man and he took the woman and gave to the man. They're not exactly the same thing, though they're related. You see, the male and female is expressed, expresses or indicates their physical differences. That's sex. The man and woman indicate their non-physical differences. That's what we call gender. Are we together? Are we together? So the gender, that which we cannot see, is expressed in that which we can see in the sex. The diversity between, in, in them inside should also be seen on the outside. That is, they are meant to match. The gender is meant to match the sex. But there is a community of people, the LGBTQ community, some of which, actually, people uh, who are empathized with them or are even part of them are in the church. They are in the church. Here are some of the differences, and let me take two sets of them. The LGBT, LGB, that's lesbians, gay, and bisexuals, would accept the differences in gender and in sex. They accept it. But what they push back against is the fact that we would say that the complementary unity should be the exclusive basis for sex, marriage, and nurturing of children. The complementary unity of the male and female should be the exclusive basis for, um, for sex, marriage, and the nurturing of children. They would say, no, no, no. Yes, we have differences in male, men and women, but that doesn't mean that men and men and women and women cannot have sexual activity or cannot adopt children to raise. So that's where the LGB uh, people are in terms of their practice. The transgender is a little bit more complicated. What they would say is this. We accept the diversity that you have in gender and the diversity that you have in sex. But we reject the notion that the, gender, the sex must reflect the gender. Do you understand? They would say that there is diversity. Even You can have diversity in the matching of the gender and sex so that Somebody who is a woman can have a male body. And somebody who is a man, gender, can have a female body. Are we together, sex? And so that is what we have here. Now, before I speak to that community, can I, I want to talk to us as, as a church. I want to talk to us as a church about how we deal with those who have those views. And maybe I should say, tell you these two, give you these two scripts. Tell me which one you feel is more like God and which one is less like God. It's about somebody who is coming out, that is coming out to express the fact that they are gay or they are lesbians, right? So script one, here are a number of things that is in the, the reaction of script one that I'll tell you script two. Script two, script one says, we can tell you who you are. Your same-sex feelings should not be debated on a right or wrong scale, but on a fact or illusion scale. Now, because it is the latter that is fact or illusion, they are central to who you are. You are lesbian, gay, or you are bisexual. Embrace and explore leaving it out. We won't judge you. Welcome home. That's script one. Script two. What? God forbid. Are you sure? Can't you just stop thinking? Uh, can't you just choose to stop thinking about it? If you don't stop, you will go to hello. 
I think you need deliverance because there's something defective in you. You are a gay. Don't tell anyone. And please, I, you shouldn't be hanging out with uh, people of the same sex at all. And don't, certainly don't come near my children. Which one is more like God and which one is less like God? I didn't say any of them is holy like God, right? And one is totally not like God. But which one of them is more like God and which one is less than God? Huh? Someone says, no, no, let me quite tell you, that maybe you disagree with me. Script one is more like God. Script one is more like God. Let me tell you what script one yells. Script one yells acceptance. Script two yells rejection. Now, but on three different, you can see the acceptance and rejection on three different planes. On the reality scale on plane, on the uh, morality plane, and the community plane. What do I mean? Script one is basically, they're basically saying something like this. When the thing comes, they say, it's true. That's the reality. This thing you're feeling is true. You are right. They're saying this thing is good. And we love you as you are. They're saying we accept you into this community. Script two is basically saying, this is unbelievable. You are just making it up. or You are just choosing it. Reality. You are sinning. You are a sinner. Morality. We can't love you this way. Why don't you just marry somebody of the opposite sex? I'm sure it will work out. In other words, reject from the community. And the problem is this. We choose those who are LGBTQ. We, we treat them. Sorry, we treat those who are LGBTQ in a way that says that they are uniquely sinful. They're uniquely sinful. That is, yes, I may have idolaters. Yes, I may have adulterers. Yes, I may have thieves. Yes, I may have greedy people. But you see, all of those people are different to somebody, a man that, ha that, makes a, uh, that has a sex with another man. They are really different. And I'm sure the Bible says that. Just like in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 and 10. What does it say? Oh, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters nor adulterers. Eh? That's what I said. Oh, no, men, what, what is that doing there? Keep going. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit. He does not call them uniquely sinful. But the problem is that we always treat them that way. We treat them with what I've often called the yoke factor. And you know what? You see, sometimes we, we don't understand what they have gone through. And I'm speaking particularly of the ones that will say that they are Christians. What they've gone through. You come and say, okay, ah, eh, you are. Oh, let's pray, let's pray. As if they have not been praying. Let me tell you something. A lot of them have been praying for healing. A lot of them have come out for deliverance. A lot of them have been begging God, please take this thing away from me. Why? Because they are so scared of how we in the church will treat them. They don't want this kind of thing. They are not looking for it. They, don't, they are not just choosing it. And if we continue to react this way, what will happen when the 15-year-old, the 14-year-old, the 13-year-old that is struggling like this, when they hear us talk about their, those those abominable things, those beasts. How the hell do you think they will ever be able to come and talk about their struggles? We can do better. Amen? Amen. Tell anybody we can do better. So many of them, the suffering is so immense, so eventually, after we are rejected, you know what they just say? 
you know what? Let me go somewhere that actually accepts me. They now join the LGBTQ community. Why? Because those ones eventually accept them and they don't feel the suffering again. So now they assume a new identity by joining this community. And you say, why are they doing that? Because listen to me, the fact that human beings fell did not eliminate or destroy our need for community. The fact that Adam and Eve fell in 3.16, Jesus still, uh, God still said they will give birth. 4 verse 1, you saw that she gave birth. A family was still formed despite the fact that they were falling. God said it is not good for man to be alone. That happened before the fall. They needed to be accepted and so they find a community that does what? It accepts them. Why? Because we rejected them and those ones accepted them. We can do better. We should accept their reality. We should accept them in our community. But for those who are struggling with this, let me explain why it's difficult to accept the morality. And you don't need someone to accept the morality of the issue to truly accept you. You see, it's not about Bible verses that are sprinkled here and there. It's again about the God in whose nature, in whose image we are created. It's about how he also created this world to reflect him. Remember about the unity and the diversity. For those who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, let me explain that. I ha we have to use the measure of fruitfulness to judge this. And the same-sex same sex sexual, same sex sexual activity can never produce children. You say, but who says, but you said that procreation is not the measure of only measure, is not the only measure of fruitfulness. You are correct. But it is a definitive measure to help us understand the design of God. You say, oh, but there are people who are heterosexual couples that cannot have children. I say, yes, especially if they are old or maybe they have a particular defect. But I want you to not mistake this. This is the problem with that argument. You are mistaken. A process malfunction with a design flaw. A process malfunction with a design flaw. What do I mean? If my wristwatch uses a battery and the battery is dead, my wristwatch cannot tell the time. Guess what also cannot tell the time? My fan cannot tell the time. So if you then conclude on the basis that my wristwatch and my fan cannot tell the time, they are sort of the same, that's a problem. We wouldn't think about it that way. Why? Because with the wristwatch, if I just replace the battery, what will happen? It will start to work. That is a what? A, pro a, a process malfunction within something that was designed to do a particular thing. But with a fan, even though you know how technology is nowadays, you know. But with a fan, the fan essentially is not designed to tell the time. A fan is designed to drive people to sleep. That's why we don't have fans here. All right? There is a difference between the process malfunction and a design flaw. And that's the problem with homosexual sexual activity. But to the transgender ones, and you know, this one, my heart really bleeds for them because what they go through is so difficult to explain because there is a thing like that. There is a thing where, you know, we call it gender dysphoria. The distress that comes when you feel that the body that you have does not match the reality of who you are in terms of gender. There is a thing there, and that's why I'll talk to us again back to the church about how we can help with this.
But the problem here for those that are saying that we should accept this as right and live and the living out of this as right, it goes back to something we said in the last sermon, which is this that God created us as not as spirits or as souls. We are not spirit or souls that live in a body. We are spirit bodies or we are soul bodies. That is, we are, it, those things are so intertwined. You see, when I am sad, you can't see my sadness. But what do you see? You see my tears. Physically, a physical manifestation of what I feel on the inside. When I am anxious, what do you see? You may not see my anxiety, but you see my goosebumps. You cannot separate that which is on the inside and the outside. Once you separate them, that leads to something called death. And so to say we should accept that this is right, we are then saying, we are redefining totally what it means to be human. I am not saying that you are not human. Please don't hear that. You don't even need my affirmation for that. Totally human, just you and I, because we are created in God's image. But I'm saying where there is a flaw, let us identify the flaw and not use the flaw to then redesign the whole thing. We need to know where the design is, what the standard design is, to now diagnose whether there is a fault here or not. Please, if you are in those communities, do not hear me say, I'm not condemning, neither am I saying that the reality of what you are going through is not true. I fully affirm it. But how do you end up being fruitful? The way you end up being fruitful is not like Adam and Eve. You see, in the garden that they were in, there was a lot of fruit, but God told them, there is one tree whose fruit you should not eat. Satan came, deceived them, because he, wanted, he, went, he pointed them to a sort of fruitfulness in the earth, that they will now become like gods. Well, they ate in verse 6. And what ended up happening? They saw that there is a fruit that actually leads to fruitlessness. When we decide to go about things just simply based on how we feel and go against God's design, it always leads to fruitlessness. I'm begging you, don't choose the way of fruit, fruitlessness. There is another way to be fruitful. And the way to be fruitful is the way of Jesus. You see, Jesus himself wasn't married. Jesus came on an assignment. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus went to the cross. And Jesus then said to his disciples, anyone that will follow him in Luke 9 verse 23, Jesus said this, whether you are gay, whether you are straight, he says that whoever will be my disciple must take up what? Their cross and follow me how? Daily. And some of us battle this with mental illnesses. Some of us battle this with physical illnesses. Some of us battle this with persecution. And some of us, that would mean that we will not be able to live out the sexual desire that we crave. It is the way of Jesus. But make no mistake, the Jesus that went through the cross eventually came out in glory. You can still experience fruit, fruitfulness when in the suffering of carrying of the cross. I am saying Jesus' way is better than your own way. And then you tell me you don't understand. I can't do this alone. And I'm saying you are not meant to do it alone. You are meant to do it within an alternative family. You produce this alternative fruit by carrying your cross in this alternative family. And can I talk to that family again? Because this is something that's often missing. When Jesus was carrying the cross, on the way to Golgotha, it was heavy. Not only was it heavy, it's because he had suffered a lot of beatings before he was weak. He had suffered the loss of blood. There was a crown of thorn on his head. He was bleeding. 
at some point, at some point as he was going up the hill, Jesus could not carry the cross again. I'm like, why? Because he was weak. So what was going to happen? Enter in one African man, the father of Rufus. His name was Simon of Cyrene. And he said he was forced to be able to carry the cross. And he carried the cross eventually all the way to where? To, the, to, to Golgotha. Simon, when he carried that cross, you know what happened? He felt the weight of the cross. He felt the pain upon his back. In other words, Simon was there to go with Jesus to carry the cross. Church, we will not be the people of Jesus if we are not helping people that are struggling with this thing to also carry the cross for them. It's okay. It's very easy to just say, to dismiss them, to say they're just sinners, to say that they're choosing it. Why are we doing that? Because we are refusing to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We don't help them carry their cross. Let me tell you four ways you can do that. The first one is this. When somebody does come out, humanize them. Humanize them. How can you humanize them? One of the biggest moments in, in the whole of, of sporting history was when um, Magic Johnson came out uh, with his uh, HIV positive, uh, whatever, and I can't remember the quote that eventually hugged him. Hugged him. That changed everybody's mind. That was the biggest, most important, significant thing on uh, uh, how people thought about people with HIV. Like they hugged him. When somebody comes out, rather than say, Ew, oh, ah, well, I don't know what to do with that, look forward, you know what you say? I love you. Hug them. Many people in this community have never heard Christians actually say they love them. That changes everything. Humanize them. And actually, second thing, I'm sorry, not just in, in saying you love them, but believe them. Believe them. Stop this nonsense about you are just choosing it. Of course, now don't we all choose whatever we do, but the choosing of something doesn't mean you don't feel the thing. And if we really do believe in a fall that has broken all of us, then why can't you believe in that? Second thing, listen to them. When they tell you that, listen, and when I mean listen, I don't mean like, okay, all right, so we have 15 minutes to talk about this. Tell me the beginning. What happened to your childhood? Was it fatherly love that you, that you didn't have or something? Stop trying to foist your own view, your own pseudo-intellectual view on the thing. Listen, just listen to the pain. Listen to when they said it started. Listen, just listen. Because we have to be like God. He says, oh, thou that hears prayers. God is a God that answers prayers. Are his children known for their listening? Listen to the totality of their painful experiences often more than we know. Third, honor them. You know, when we meet a hustler, a Lagos hustler, a business hustler who is not doing very well, he's poor, but you know, started this business, it didn't work out, started the next business, didn't work out, started the next business, you know, they're doing like, you have like four jobs. Often, most of us, I do, certainly, I actually admire them and I honor their hustle. Now, we can honor their hustle without always thinking they are taking the best decisions, but you can honor the hustle. Do we understand? When you honor them, what I mean is this, ask them, how have they coped with this thing? How have they coped? Some of the ways they've coped with it, some of the things they've done, you don't, you won't agree with it. But can you honor them? And then finally, like Simon, support them. Now that the person has told you, don't just say, I love you, I believe you. Whew. All right, I've done my own part. And now you, you can't call the person, when you guys are hanging out, you can't call the person again because, you know, if I call him with the guys, maybe he starts to fall in love with you. Don't, let's not do that nonsense. Please. 
please. Because if I go through the minds of each of us here, some of us who are married, you know that it's not every time that you've often thought very purely towards the people that are around you that you're not married to. Nobody stops you, nobody stops you inviting you for things. Let's invite them over. Let's pray with them. Let's give them opportunities to serve. Let us just make them human, our body, uh, uh, members of the body of Christ. I can tell you this. If we do that, then they will start to understand that they can be accepted in the community and their reality can be accepted. And therefore, they will be willing to walk the struggle with, with you and I so that they don't accept the morality of it. This is how we can carry the cross as Simon Sarin did. Will we be those kind of people? No, I ask. Will we be those kind of people? So for those who are struggling in that, I want to say this. We will try our best to be that. Don't give up. Don't give in to what the others are saying. Don't choose your own way of, fruitless, of fruitlessness. God has a better plan for you. That takes me to my final point. Because some people, of, of the two people I've addressed, the marital couples and those in the LGBTQ community, Maybe someone married here says, I can't, I can't, I can't think of improving our sex life again. My spouse just isn't interested. We started off very well in our marriage, but something changed. And after that, we grew apart. Most times I feel like garbage. You know what it means to feel, to, 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 to endure that the fact that the person you are most in love with actually doesn't see you as desirous. It makes me feel like garbage. I'm not going to try again. I have lost hope. I can't and I won't. And maybe someone in the LGBT community is saying, you're asking me to give up a core aspect of my identity? You're asking me to give up the community I deeply love? The acceptance of me, whilst you guys rejected me, the acceptance of me and my acceptance of this, my identity, literally saved my life. Now you're asking me to hate myself, to accept being filthy? I can't. I won't. My heart breaks for you. Actually, my heart breaks for both of you. Because I see the pain. I see how this is so is breaking both of you. Because on the one hand, those who are will, will, will not pursue uh, sex in improvement of sex in their marital life, you know what's happening? The lack of the the lack of the sex you desire is breaking you. And on the other hand, the LGBTQ person, the desire for the sex that is wrong is also breaking you. They make you feel ashamed. Make you feel ashamed. You know who else felt ashamed? Adam and Eve. After they had messed up, after they had taken of the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve felt ashamed. They literally left the garden and went to the grave. Adam and Eve, you see, they were still created in God's image when he banished them. But at the same time, the sin and the rejection felt them feeling one way. They felt ashamed. Maybe you feel ashamed like them. Maybe you feel like God has rejected you. Maybe you feel like the sin has now all totally defined you. And you either have to choose your identity with sin or your identity with those other people. You feel like Adam and Eve. They left the grave. They left the garden and went to the grave. I understand that if that's where the story ends because I don't think you really read their story 
Because you see, look at Genesis 3.16 and Genesis 3.24. There is something there. God acknowledges the pain, but God did not leave them to that fate. Look at verse 16. He says to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Verse 24. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden, cherubim and flaming and a flaming sword, flashing back and forth to guard what? The way to the tree of life. Do you see the hope that is there? No, you see, when you look, you said, oh, in verse 16, it was all about pain. It was severe pain. Yes, but the severe pain, the painful labor eventually gave what? But the rise to what? Childbearing. In other words, where there was suffering, there was still some measure of hope. God acknowledged the suffering, but he said, this is not going to be the end. There is still hope and glory. Where there was judgment, there was still going to be salvation. Literally, they were both banished to the road of death. But God said, I am not going to remove the road that goes to the tree of life. God says, there is still hope for somebody here today. And you see how? How can I experience that hope? How can my, the, the grave of my sexual reality be transformed to a fruitful garden? And speaking about gardens, I think the way that happens is a gardener. It takes a gardener to visit your grave. That's what do I mean. Let's think about a gardener in two different scenarios that you often find gardeners. The first one is gardeners in cemeteries. Have you seen gardeners? Not here, not Nigeria cemetery. All right. But a lot of well-kept cemeteries, what do we have? Plush lawns, well-mowed lawns. We have trees coming out, nice flowers. In other words, we see life there. But what's the life just showing? What's it trying to mask? What is the reason for having a cemetery? Death. In other words, the gardener's job role in the cemetery is to use life to mask the real reality of what is going on, death. And maybe some of us say, I'm tired of smiling. This is not how I feel. I'm tired of playing and acting up and raising my hands. This is not how I feel. I don't like being like the, uh, the, like, uh, the, the work of a gardener in a cemetery. There is death all around here. But then there is a gardener in a garden. And what does a gardener in a garden do? Apart from all the trimming and all of these things, when they want to start, you know what they do? They plant a seed. And what does the seed do? The seed literally has to die so that what can happen? So that a plant can come back to life. <laughs> you are not hearing me. The seed has to die so that a tree can come up. The seed has to die so that a fruit can come up. The gardener in the, the, gardener in the cemetery is trying to mask the death that is there with life. But the gardener that is in the garden is putting death there so that life may come forth. There was a woman called Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene. She went to a cemetery. She went to look for the one that stopped her from being an outcast because she could not fit into the society. She had seven demons in her. So everybody looked away from her. She was an outcast. Nobody wanted to hang out with her. But she met somebody that said I can humanize you. She met somebody who could listen to her pain. Eventually he cast out all those demons from her. He brought her back into the society and then he died. And all her hopes were gone. But she went to the grave. She wanted to now 
go there and bound me. She wanted to help him. But all of a sudden, when she got there, she didn't find him. And she was wondering, where have they taken the one that I love? And she turned around. And who did she see? A gardener. And she said to this gardener, where have you put the one I love? Tell me so that I can go there and get him. She still felt that she could help this gardener. Many times in our situation, we still feel like we can help ourselves. But this was no ordinary gardener. This was a gardener that died and then rose again. And this gardener says, Mary, he called her. Where people have rejected you, have called you names. Where they've called you a faggot or they've called you other things. He's calling your name because he knows that you're a human being. This gardener rose from the dead. And then he came back to life. And so that when Mary saw him, she ran to his disciples and she said, I have seen the Lord. The good news about Christianity is this. I have seen the Lord. Let me tell you, I myself was sexually broken. But one day, I saw the Lord. Will you see the Lord in your broken? Will you see the Lord in your rejection? Will you see the Lord? Look, if others have rejected, if your spouse is rejecting you, there is one that is greater that will never accept and reject you. For this gardener understood the principle that we are not meant to be in graves, we are meant to be in gardens. So what did he do? He died and rose again. But why did he die? He died for this reason. He died for in his, he, he, he was rejected in his death so that we can be accepted in his life. He was broken for you in his death so that you can be made whole and put together again in his life. Do you not understand? He was humiliated in his death so that in his life you can be made glorious again. Commit to Jesus and he will literally bring you from the grave and take you to the garden. For he says in Revelation 2 verse 7, the way of the garden tree to the tree of life is still there. If anyone is victorious, I will grant him to eat of the tree of the garden of life that is in the paradise of God. The paradise of God in Revelation 22 verse 7, they said, I saw a river flowing. It was a garden with many trees where the tree of life was also there. Jesus, he says, if you would not put your hand in him, he will take you from the grave and bring you into the garden. Come on here and amen. As I said, if the world, if your spouse has rejected you, Jesus will never ever reject you. For he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you say, oh, but my, I've, I've accepted my identity and the LGBTQ community has accepted me. They had to accept your sin to accept you. Jesus died for your sin so that he can accept you. Oh, don't run away from Jesus. Come to him. He's telling you to carry a cross because he's already carried that cross for you. But he said this, I carry the cross, I understand, but I left the, the grave in its way. And if I left the grave, then you can also leave it. So if you've never met that Jesus, or if you need the power, for he gives us a new identity to join his new community. He gives us new life to serve in that community. If you need that power, if you need that new identity, let's rise to our feet and pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.